Hardware to Save a Planet explores the technical innovations that are giving us hope in the fight against climate change. Each episode focuses on a specific climate challenge and explores an emerging physical technology solution with the person bringing it into reality. I'm your host, Dylan Garrett. Hello, and welcome to a very exciting episode of Hardware to Save a Planet. I feel really lucky to be sitting down with Erica Boeing today. Erica is the CEO and founder of Accelerate Wind, where she and her team are developing a really innovative hardware solution to generate wind energy with rooftop turbines. They're making wind a more affordable and effective energy source and helping building owners and operators get to net zero. So welcome, Erica. Really happy to have you. Thank you for joining. Thanks. Yeah, excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Before we get into what Accelerate Wind is doing and the technology you're currently developing, I'd love to hear more about your background, your path to climate change, and your inspirations along the way, that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds good. So I guess my journey kind of starts when I went to Olin College, which I know you also went to, to to get a mechanical engineering degree. And I kind of approached it not knowing if I wanted to be an engineer, but realizing that technology made a huge impact on the planet. And I kind of had a lot of different sides of my personality and figured this was something that I could do to have a say on kind of the trajectory of how things developed. And so I was like, okay, Olin is a school that's trying to make a difference and use technology to affect the world in positive ways. I want to go see what that looks like. And so I went to college trying to figure out, like really focused on purpose, I guess. And so that naturally led me to sustainability. Had a few professors who terrified me about the the state of the environment (laughs) and gave me a few obsessive years at the end of college talking about researching every energy technology I could and trying to figure out where I could kind of step in and make a difference. And then I graduated, ended up working for a defense contractor, but developing energy, water, and waste technologies and leading a lot of early stage projects there, which was a really good learning experience and helped me figure out kind of how to develop new technologies. My baby while I was there was a waste energy technology to convert the military's trash to electricity. And I got to see a lot of these projects kind of go from, from ground up and realized that I had built up a lot of confidence in my engineering capabilities, but I still had a lot of sustainability questions. And so decided that it was time to take a step back and think about sustainability. And I applied for a Fulbright scholarship in the Netherlands to study a field called society science technology. So studying how technology affects society and how society determines what technologies get accepted. It was super philosophical. It was a year thinking about sustainability and technology and unintended consequences and it wrapped my brain into a bunch of twists where I didn't know how to make a difference and what that meant and made me question everything for a minute. <laughs> um, but I got really inspired by it while I was there by some local initiatives to generate renewable energy and energy efficiency measures locally. So there were a few really innovative projects where people were converting houses en masse to run on solar, retrofit everything with energy efficiency and do it in a really systemic way that everything hit itself back within a couple of years. And it made me just realize that when people are generating their energy locally, they're much more likely to think about their overall energy picture. And so I kind of wanted to be involved with with helping that happen. 
And so I was, I had a day that I was at a festival drinking a beer and sitting on a terrace and I was just staring at buildings and I had this thought pop into my head of, Hey, I wonder if wind actually increases at the edges of roofs, just because of the way that wind is forced to flow over the edge of the building. And if it does, is that something that we could actually harness and produce meaningful energy from? So I went back and did the math and realized that actually, yeah, there's a lot of power right at the edges of roofs and that it seemed like it was something we could use to generate significant, affordable wind power. And so I was kind of at a good break point in my career and had thought about starting a company for a while and decided that the numbers looked good enough that it was worth it to give it a go. And I applied for some grants. That was four years ago. And now Accelerate Wind is real and we're building paid pilots and still our turbines out in the world. Yeah. And congrats for that. I'm excited to talk more about that. You said a couple things that piqued my interest. One, converting military waste to energy. So I was looking at this space recently. And I feel like there are a lot of these sort of trash to electricity companies a decade ago or something, and you don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. That's about when I was working on it. <laughs> okay. You don't hear about it much anymore. What Does it work? Is it economically feasible? So what we designed was for small base camps. So things that were kind of needed to set up out of nowhere, or they had like very little infrastructure, needed something that would be super reliable. And so what we actually ended up doing was developing a clean combustion system, basically. But it was gasification with a few other steps in there to be able to cleanly combust the waste and then doing heat to electricity conversion on the back end. So it was really more clean combustion combined with heat to electricity in a way that was designed to be really robust. We got a patent on it. <laughs> Corporate world and military budgets, it didn't go any further than that. Yeah. But it was a great, it was a great learning experience for me. Cool. Kind of dropped off. I know there's a few companies that are still out there today that are doing some of this, but I've kind of dropped off of that technology for the past five years or so. Yeah. The other thing you said, this kind of how energy technologies interact with society. And actually when I was looking into your background, I saw that I hadn't heard of this term before, but the energy rebound effect. And I had this moment reading about it where I was kind of like, oh God, yep, (laughs) is this going to ruin everything? Can you explain what that is? It is the most depressing concept for any engineer trying to work on sustainability projects, which is essentially the concept that energy efficiency measures won't always lead to a reduction in energy generation. Overall, some other people know it as Jevons Paradox because it was developed uh, by a guy, his name was William Stanley Jevons, somebody Jevons, during the coal boom. And he had this hypothesis that making our coal engines more efficient would actually lead to a shortage of coal and would because people would start using more and more and more and more and that it would cause problems. That didn't happen because we discovered oil, but it's also really relevant for energy efficiency measures. So one example is you put in LED light bulbs and you save some money and then you spend it on a plane flight for vacation. Probably not reducing our carbon emissions overall. Increasing our quality of life, which is good, but not non-deterministically, meaning that we reduce our carbon emissions. And there's a bunch of different ways that this can happen too. Another crazy example is like refrigerated storage. Like that wasn't a thing in the past. Now that refrigerators got, got way way cheaper and we are able to freeze our food and and ship it across the country. And that takes a lot more energy than we would have used in the past. And so I spent a lot of time looking at the different ways that different economists have looked at this energy rebound effect to try to figure out, is there a way that I could know that if like a technology I developed was going to rebound or not? 
I think the real answer is that anything economic is hard to predict in a deterministic fashion. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And that's probably why I'm working on the source now, working on renewable energy. But I think since then, I've evolved a little bit to realize like we do need energy efficiency measures and those quality of life increases are still good things. And if we're going to transition, that has to be a part of the story rather than just an abrupt transition. So not anti-energy efficiency, but it definitely caused a couple of years of my career where I was questioning everything for a minute. Right. But you won't see that rebound effect through... I see your point about you're focusing on the source. Yeah. If you're generating energy, people aren't going to use more energy because they have wind turbines on their building kind of thing. Yeah, not as direct. There's no silver bullet. I mean, there's still going to be material shortages, like the more that we create things that generate energy and everything. But it's at least a step in the right direction. And I think with the goals that people are setting for like net zero energy generation, that helps a lot with aiming society in the right direction so that we can keep everything kind of bounded in a way that's healthy for the planet. So it seems more direct, at least. Nothing's perfect. Yeah. And your studies of kind of how society and these technology interact, did that help you decide that local generation is important? It sounds like there's some link between people seeing the generation happening and their behavior changing. Yeah, that was part of my hypothesis. I wouldn't say that it's always that way. The world is really complex, but at the time, it seemed like there was this mantra, like especially with the energy rebound effect of like, oh, cool, I got my Tesla. Now I did my green thing and I can go like, I don't know, spend money on a plane flight or, or whatever. But when people were starting to think about the energy generation, the source and everything and seeing wind or solar closer to them, then they believe that it's actually something that's possible and start to think about other energy efficiency measures that they could make at the same time. So that was at least the hypothesis. I don't think it always works that way, but it's a step towards normalizing it for people. Last question about your background. I saw when I was snooping on LinkedIn that you also worked on the Drawdown team, the Project Drawdown team. Oh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Which really caught my eye just because it's been an inspiration. That study has been an inspiration for me and I'm sure a lot of people in this space. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, that was a great project. That was actually right after I was coming out of my Fulbright. Think about what I wanted to do next. I think I had just barely started Accelerate Wind but was doing it on the side. And I they brought me on as a research fellow for Project Drawdown. And so I was one of 100 different fellows all across the world that was researching these 80 solutions to reverse global warming and the impact that they could have. And so I was I was assigned a few solutions. So actually, Waste Energy was one of them because my experience on that before, landfill methane capture. And so I did the climate modeling and the economic modeling to look at what if we scale these solutions in a way that's, the term they used was optimistically plausible. (laughs) So what is still possible within how these solutions are scaling with society today? How much would that reduce our carbon emissions and what would the like net economic savings be? And that was a really cool project. It was so much fun. It was like the most passionate team that I've ever worked on. And I think the really cool thing about Drawdown was just how like the positive message. I think after a couple of years of philosophical I don't know, dwelling. <laughs> it was it was really nice to be involved in a project that was really thinking about like positive, what are the tangible solutions that we can do and like kind of giving giving hope to people that there's a way for everybody to pitch in on climate solutions. And I could feel that on the team. It was really cool. Yeah. And through that process, did you come out of it feeling more optimistic? I mean, you've got a plan, we can do this kind of thing. I 
think so. I think so. Yeah. More optimistic. It was cool to see Drawdown talks about 80 different solutions for reversing global warming. It was cool to see the breadth of things that was considered and like think about things a little bit more holistically. And it was really cool to see as well how other people were able to be inspired by the book and like seeing it catch on kind of a societal movement and everything too. Just like, I think it encouraged me that like, maybe hope is a good approach. I think I've moved that way, especially since being an entrepreneur. Optimism is kind of required (laughs) to to be an entrepreneur. And if you want to have a shot of getting things done. So maybe that was my step in moving towards, towards optimism, maybe even just in a practical way, because that's, that's how we get things done. But it was a useful mindset at least. Nice. So Accelerate Win, the idea you were at a festival drinking a beer and had this idea, which is great. (laughs) Had the background and ability to go model it out in Excel and kind of prove it out. I'd love to talk more about it. So maybe we can start with what's the business model. So you have rooftop wind turbines. Who do you sell to? Kind of what are, who are some of those key stakeholders you have to convince in that process? Sure. So our turbines are designed specifically for commercial buildings. So think retail, factories, warehouses, kind of these long, big box, tilt-up construction commercial buildings that have a large roof space. And as I mentioned before, they're specifically designed to go on the edge of roofs where the wind increases naturally. And one of the things that I was inspired by early on too was just the fact that solar was finally taking off around the time that I started Accelerate Wind. And so that made me believe that it would be kind of possible to scale things at at some amount of of speed. And I thought maybe we can do this with wind. And so our direct customers are actually solar installers. So on most commercial buildings, solar can't produce the entire energy demand of most buildings. And so we have designed our turbines to be installed alongside solar at the edge of the roof where solar can't go and to be installed by solar installers because they're already out there. They have networks for customer acquisition, installation, permitting, financing, all the things that we don't have expertise on on our team that often are really local, depending on which area of the country you're in. They already have those skills. And so we've spent a lot of time working with solar installers to figure out how we can make this useful to them, how we can make it easy for them to install alongside solar with labor that they will already have out there in the field and how we can fit into existing permitting processes, just like everything that goes into those soft costs trying to design specifically around that. So we sell the solar installers and for them, especially medium-sized solar installers who are trying to grow are pretty interested because they can send their same force out, install solar and wind and increase their average deal size by about 25%. And then depending on the area of the country, sometimes you can even double the deal size. And so a lot of these medium-sized installers are looking to figure out how do we grow and become one of the big guys in an industry that's consolidating. And so they get they get really excited about that opportunity. Right. So the panels use up all the space for the panels, but yep. you can use roof real estate that isn't usable by panels. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There are no corner solar panels. Yeah, the edge of the roof isn't used. Yeah. One of the reasons is it's too windy at the edge of the roof. So that works well for us. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> was that the plan from the beginning or is, have you evolved to figure out that that's your, that's your go-to-market? It actually kind of was. I think I was, I was really inspired by solar early on. We started with residential buildings, so okay. we thought we were going to capture wind at the edge of residential roofs. And then after talking to people, we realized that one, a lot of times solar can provide the entire demand of a residential building. 
And two, the wind is so complicated around residential buildings. You have different roof shapes, you have different neighborhood configurations and blockage from trees. And so commercial buildings are just a lot more straightforward because you tend to have a big parking lot out front. The buildings usually can't produce their energy demand with solar. You can make a bigger sale. So that was probably our big pivot. I think we always kind of figured we would work with solar installers. Didn't see a way to do it otherwise, just because other small wind companies have had just such high installation costs that like until you really get to scale, you can't get rid of that unless you're using somebody that's already out there. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like the reception has been positive. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm trying to think what the main kind of driver of the purchase would be, but I guess sort of thinking about it from a payback period standpoint, is it similar to solar? Yeah. So that's what everything we've done is to design our turbines so that we can hit a similar payback to solar because that's what, that's what customers are expecting. So that's the soft costs considerations that I've already mentioned, but also from a hardware standpoint, really optimizing the turbine to use off the shelf components to be able to accelerate this wind as it goes over the edge of the roof and make use of that so we can produce more power with a smaller area. It's really been a big optimization problem to, to try to get the cost down to where, where they need to be because it is an industry that's driven very, very much by costs and ROI and everything. Some of the earlier markets, there are people that are looking for, like, how do we get to net zero? I don't have ways to do that without tearing apart their building and retrofitting it with energy efficiency measures. And so for those earlier markets before we're at scale, there's there's people who are willing to pay more. It's more about the the actual end goal that they're trying to meet. So that's kind of our stepping stone from getting between the early phases and scale, but at scale, ROI is everything. Right. I know for solar, there's all kinds of software to help figure out was your building eligible or, you know, will you, how much will you produce and based on orientation of the building and structures around it and all this kind of stuff. Do you have a, a similar challenge to tackle to understand whether the wind is appropriate? Yeah, that's a big question for us, actually. Right now, we put sensors up on every building just to confirm before we go out and install. But that's not the long term plan. We're working on getting a software system that can can do similar to what, what solar does. Right now, we have a couple of collaborations with National Renewable Energy Lab, and they've developed software to take utility-scale wind data and incorporate terrain and predict wind at the local level. And so they have a piece of software that can do that. And we're just about to hopefully start working with them to integrate our turbines into that model and ensure that we can do something similar. So ultimately the vision is to get to where solar is, but we're probably a couple of years from that at least. So you're a mechanical engineer, right? Yep. I am as well. Well, I, at least I play one on a podcast these days. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the tech itself and, and sort of the physicality of it. Can you? Sure. So I think you sent me an awesome picture. We'll put that up in the show notes so people can see it. But can you describe kind of what these, what your turbines look like, what the installations look like and what these things are physically? Yeah. Yeah. You got to look on the website because it's not intuitive at all. Yeah. Or <laughs> not, what, not what you'd expect. But if you look at a building... What our system actually kind of looks like to people from the ground is an awning that hangs over the edge. And we call it our spoiler system that accelerates wind as it goes over the edge and lets us capture that faster wind speed. So our core IP, if I want to get technical for a second, (laughs) is focused around preventing flow separation at the edge of the roof. So 
The reason that nobody else has been able to do this before is because as wind hits a building, it you get massive separation. So it speeds up as it goes over the edge, but you at the very edge, it's kind of a mix of fast and slow wind speeds. And then far above the roof, you actually get the high wind speeds. And so we have this kind of airfoil spoiler shape that hangs over the edge of the roof and prevents that flow separation from happening. So you get the wind to be drawn down towards the edge of the roof and that is able to let us guide it toward the turbine that sits right at the edge. So we've got this giant spoiler hanging over the edge of the roof and it looks cool. Like people, people get really excited when they see it just because the way it architecturally affects the building. And then it guides the wind towards, we have a five kilowatt cross flow turbine. So it's a vertical axis turbine, but flipped 90 degrees. So it's spinning on a horizontal axis. Um, Got it. So the academic term would be cross flow turbine. And, and yeah, so this designed just like solar to be installed in modules alongside the edge of the roof. So I mentioned it's a five kilowatt module, but then that module is four meters long. And then depending on how long your roof is, you can install any number of turbines based on how much power you you want to produce how much space you have on the roof what else is relevant what was there research already done on the behavior of wind at the corner of buildings to so that you knew going into this we're going to have to redirect that faster wind lower down on the building so we can capture with the turbine like was that already done or did you have to figure all that out we figured it out pretty soon yeah it took us a minute there was research out there but when we first looked at the models we thought we'd be able to just capture it at the edge and then as we really got into it, we started with computational fluid dynamics modeling. And yeah, it didn't take long to figure out that we had to do something different. And then we did a huge design sprint, tested. We didn't know what was going to work to remove the flow separation. And so we tested kind of trial and error-ish, educated trial and error, two, 300 shapes to see what seemed to work best for reducing flow separation. And then we were kind of able to narrow it down to a set of parameters that, that matter to let us actually guide that wind over the edge of the roof. And that kind of became our, our core thing. And do you mean actually prototyping and testing or were you doing simulations? This was all in computational fluid dynamics land. Okay. So it was all, all simulation for those three, 400 okay. runs. And then the best one we built. And we've had a prototype that's been on the roof at Argonne National Lab in Chicago for the past couple of years. And so that was able to let us actually validate the CFD and that the wind was doing what we said it was going to do. Nice. You mentioned Argonne National Lab. Can you say a little bit about what the partnership with them is? Yeah. So we, one of our earliest funding sources was through the Department of Energy program. They have these programs called the Lab Embedded Entrepreneurship Programs, where they embed clean tech startups in national labs for a two-year fellowship. And the purpose is to take really early stage clean tech startups give them access to lab resources that will help accelerate their technology. We had funding for a fellowship for me to do the research work and then for us to work with scientists as well and get some of their time to help us developing the technology. So we actually, our office, we still have some space that we're using there. We've been kind of embedded in the lab for the last three years or so, working with different experts in wind prediction or drivetrains or other aerodynamic aspects as well to develop the tech, which has been really nice to kind of augment our team, especially when we're working with something that's such a system level problem. I'm kind of a generalist and I like being a generalist, but it's nice to have lots of people to like pick their brains who are experts and and integrate that into what we're doing and everything. And they've, you have a system installed at their facility too. Yeah. 
Yeah. It worked out with the best building in the lab from a shape perspective. The Accelerate the Wind was the one that we were in. And so it was actually, we were able to build it there, install it on site, have easy access for monitoring and testing and everything. And nice. Worked out pretty well. Yeah. We were able to compare the data to a weather station that they had at the lab on site that had been measuring wind speeds for the last 20 years or maybe even longer than that. So it was, it was, a, it was a really, really good setup for first tests. Nice. What have you learned from that test? Yeah, a lot. At that point, our core IP is still the same. So that we had just tested the, the lower part of our system, which is what, what's really critical for accelerating wind as it goes over the edge of the roof. But we didn't know what type of turbine we were going to use. So we hadn't actually settled on using that cross-flow turbine architecture yet. Cross-flow. Yeah. And the reason we do that is because it can kind of stretch along the edge of the roof and we can have a larger system. So larger generators, inverters are a lot cheaper than if we had to have like, if it was a normal, typical horizontal axis wind turbine, we have to, unless we wanted to look ridiculous and have giant things stretching over the top of the building, then we'd have to have like one kilowatt generators, which are really expensive per kilowatt. We evolved, we've done a lot more CFD refinements since then and actually developed. We have, we've changed the shape and we've also simplified it so it was going to have to be more of a 3D structure. Now we just have, we're able to make it out of like, well, like I said, it was sheet metal, but we're able to make it out of just sheets, a bit of like bullet sheets rather than something 3D. And then we added an upper part of the spoiler that kind of further concentrates the wind. So it's been a lot, a lot of design refinement, testing, finding the right partners, design for manufacture. And then this summer, we're going to be building our next version of the technology and testing it at a more formal wind site. So the pandemic turned into redesign phase and and now we're going out of that and moving into the next test. Gotcha. It sounds like you've retired a lot of the technical risk. What do you see? Or yeah, is that accurate? I think that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the next phase of technical risk is... One, how do we integrate into a lot of different types of buildings? So we've designed it for some of the more typical types of commercial buildings, but there's a lot of different buildings out there. And so just figuring out how to interact with buildings that are designed for different loads or might have different parapet heights or just different particularities, slightly different shapes, trying to make sure that it's robust across building types is the next phase. So I think it's further optimization from what we've done. And then also design for certification. So that's another big thing that we're working with NREL on right now is how do we make sure that our turbine can get through the small wind certification process, which was traditionally designed for three-bladed horizontal axis wind turbines. Or not three-bladed, but for horizontal axis wind turbines. And so what we're doing is pretty different. So in terms of like measuring and predicting loads and power output and everything, there's a lot of work to be done to develop a system that that lets us do that and get through the certification process. So we're doing that now. Uh, we have some grants from the DOE to help us through that process. But I think that's that's kind of the next hurdle, I think. You actually just mentioned something I was curious about, that wind is different than solar and that it could potentially generate power around the clock. Is that seen as a, a major selling point of this in addition to solar panels? Does that play into the yeah. purchase decision at all? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Two things. One, almost everywhere, wind is more powerful in the winter than the summer. Right. So that is naturally offset from solar. And then, yeah, nighttime generation. I mean, you're starting to get places where solar is like the duck curve is overloading the grid. 
And so being able to charge something at night, especially there's some like factories and places that their peak demand is actually at night. And so they're getting these really high peak demand charges and don't have a way to offset that with solar. And so wind is an option for that. We're hoping that the like wind or the solar and storage movement is only going to accelerate that where we can have wind, solar and storage all in the same place and kind of optimize the system for location and everything. Right. Where do you hope Accelerate when will be in 10 years? That's a great question. So I think the simple answer is our goal is to be on as many commercial buildings as possible. <laughs> Ideally, everywhere where there's solar, you'll see a wind turbine. And then we also estimate that probably about 30% of the market is just wind. So places where wind will make more sense than solar. And then be scaling globally. I could also see a world where we after how, after we have products in the market where we start to think more about just net zero energy as a whole and are there other solutions that we can get involved in with commercial buildings to add to energy resilience or net zero energy goals and then kind of expand from there. So whether Accelerate Wind it goes off and like is successful and then we do that outside of Accelerate Wind or as part of Accelerate Wind, I don't know. But that would be the ultimate vision. So like... Waste to electricity, <laughs> or what are we talking here? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Yeah. 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 That would be interesting. I haven't thought about waste energy in a while, but it could come back. So, a few last questions on a scale of, oh my God, we're all going to die to, it's cool. We're all good. Where do you, what's your perspective on kind of the future of our planet? We talked a little bit about optimism, plausible optimism. Optimistically plausible yeah. <laughs> scenarios is what they're modeling and draw down. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I change over time. Part of it leads into like what I just said, where I have almost stopped focusing on it and focused on what okay, what can I do? Like from a practical standpoint, what I guess the bigger picture to some extent is a little bit irrelevant to my day-to-day, but like how fast can we scale accelerate wind? what can I actually influence as, as one person? And so I think my focus kind of stays there and I've moved into more of an optimistic mindset. It might be a practically optimistic mindset, but I don't know. I think I'm definitely excited that the world was finally talking about climate change. Five, six years ago, when we were starting to think about this stuff, I know it was never a topic, even in elections, that I couldn't believe that that was the case. And now it's the topic. So I'm optimistic that people are finally talking about it that young people are paying attention and that even investors are paying attention. In the startup world, when we started, clean tech was really at a trough. There had been a ton of big investments in like 2008, 2009 that didn't go well. And so it just crashed. And then the past couple of years, it's come way out of that. My friends and people I know who are in the stock market are all focusing on renewable energy technologies because they see it as the future. And so I think that's really, that's really encouraging. It seems like we might actually have a trajectory where we're working together on this now. So that's good. Needs to be faster, but (laughs) that's my moderate answer, I guess. (laughs) Well said. Who's one other person or company doing something to address climate change right now that's really inspiring you? That's a really great question. I like cheesy answer is I feel like I am very much in my own little world right now, developing my startup, kind of heads down, trying to get things done. But I've, as a founder, I've been really influenced just like by being in an environment with a lot of other clean tech founders over time. So to some extent, it's my friends that I've been able to develop um, and learn from as they all, they all go through this process of trying to affect things through that lab embedded entrepreneurship program that I mentioned. 
I've been able to work with like 20 different clean tech startups and a ton of other programs. And that's kind of what keeps me going and realizing that what I'm doing isn't necessarily crazy. So that's what I think of. I, some of my friends have been able to, their, their technologies are scaling really quickly and I'm like super proud of them and things. I think it's really inspiring too. I've been shocked at how many people I know that are moving into the space from other industries and yeah. just how much energy there is in climate tech generally now. It's really cool. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We might actually solve some problems. <laughs> <laughs> what advice do you have for someone not working in climate tech today who wants to do something to help? Yeah, I think one piece of advice that I always give people that I probably needed earlier is just, I think a lot of people try to think about what they can do to affect sustainability and get really overwhelmed by either the magnitude of the problem or the more likely the complexity of the problem. I talked earlier about unintended consequences that tripped me up for a while with the energy rebound effects. And I think it's important for us to think about those things, but not to the point that like paralyzes us from taking action. I think I've learned a lot more going through the process of developing Accelerate Win and saying, how do I make a difference that I did probably thinking about all of the unintended things that could happen. There's a lot that you don't know until you get into it. And things may often be two steps forward, one step back, but that's still forward. <laughs> and so, yeah, I would just recommend that people dive in. I think a lot of people who care about sustainability are really carefully considered people. They like to think deeply about things and that's awesome. But sometimes that can, that can get in the way and we have to make change quickly. Nice. Well, that's an inspiring note to end on. Erica, it's been really fun to talk to you. I have a, a sense that one of our greatest ways to address climate change would be to clone you. <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot of energy and passion and, and ideas about the space generally. So <laughs> it's been really fun to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Oh, well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Hardware to Save a Planet is brought to you by Synapse. To find out more about us and how we develop hardware solutions for the world's most ambitious companies, head to synapse.com. And then make sure to search for Hardware to Save a Planet in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere you like to listen. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Synapse, thanks for listening.